This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. And if you'll open your Bibles now to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to talk about something that I think is going to be dynamic. Uh, The title of my message tonight, For the Kingdom of God. Of God prayer comp or prayer prayer weekend. Go ahead, you can put that first screen up, guys. So the theme that we have this year is Thy Kingdom Come. And we're hoping to be able to hear, to see, to be, and to do. To hear. You so when when we pray, we want to be able to hear from God. We want to see. Jesus said it this way: He says, I only do what I hear my father say for me to do. I only, I only do what I see him doing. I only say what I hear him saying. And because of that, he was able to be and do who he was supposed to be. It's the same pattern for you and I in the scriptures. But tonight's message really was birthed out of something that came from the heart of my son, Jonathan. You know, he came and he shared something with me and I've taken it, I've without shame stolen it. And it's... Uh, about the disruptive power of prayer. And uh, so I'd like you to look in the book of Luke, the 11th chapter. How many of you have a real Bible? Hold your Bible up. Yeah, I'll tell you what. When the lights go out and the power goes off, you'll still have a Bible. Amen? Hallelujah. In Luke 11, verses 5 through 8, the Bible says this. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I do not have food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Harold has a close friend named Simba. And uh, Simba has received bad news that his grandmother passed away, but uh, she lives in Victoria Falls, and Simba lives in Bulawayo, or Harold lives in Bulawayo. So Simba starts driving immediately from work, after work when he gets off, to Victoria Falls. But it's getting late, and he's emotionally and physically exhausted. So a couple minutes outside of Victoria Falls, he decides he'd better call Harold and let him know the situation. Harold's his friend. Keep in mind, this all takes place just like the story of the parable at midnight, at midnight. Simba arrives at Harold's door at midnight. Harold hasn't seen Simba in years. Harold wakes up his whole family and his wife and his kids. They come out and they greet Uncle Simba. And of course, the tea kettle gets put on because that's what we do in Zimbabwe. Harold and his wife want to feed him, except they've run out of bread. 
Let's say another word. Everybody say friend. What are friends for? What are friends for? Harold can't possibly let Simba go to bed hungry. And after the long and exhausting day and the emotion of the death of a family member and everything he's been through, Harold has an idea. He remembers earlier that night he was at Gary's house for a braai. Harold was helping clean up after the braai and he knew that there were leftovers and that there were three loaves of bread. And he saw Gary put those three loaves of bread in his pantry. Hmm. Simba is at Harold's house and he's obviously very hungry. Harold decides at midnight to make a plan and go to Gary's house unannounced. This all goes down at midnight, remember that, okay? Harold knocks on the door. And Gary answers, who is it? It's Harold. I have somebody at my house. They've arrived unexpectedly. And they have no bread to eat. Please, may I have the leftover loaves that I saw you put in your pantry after the bride? See, Harold is putting pressure on his friendship with Gary. What kind of friend are you? Are you a fair-weathered friend? You know, when things are good, are you fine? But when things get a little bit tight, maybe you don't want to help as much. Just tap your neighbor and say, what kind of friend are you? Here's a question. How real are your friendships? How real are your friendships? See, Harold is cashing in on some relational equity that he's built and accrued over the years in his friendship with Gary. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is an incredible story here in the Bible. And I want you to understand that it's time for us, and we'd all better have a pretty real friendship with someone if you're going to bang on their door at midnight. Otherwise, chingere imba. Or even worse, maybe somebody comes out with a gun in their hands. Hmm? So what are we focusing on tonight? What is this weekend about? It's about prayer, isn't it? Prayer. So what does this have to do with prayer? Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a form of intercession. And if we're going to pray this way, I want you to know something. You better have a relationship, a friendship with God. Okay? But we also need to understand that we need to build some friendships with God, our friendship with God, before there is a crisis. I know a lot of people that have never prayed, but when they get in crisis, all of a sudden, that's when they want to start trying to build equity with God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I think we also need to build stronger friendships and relationships with each other. This has not been one of our strong suits here in Zimbabwe. 
I'm not sure that many of us even really know what a deep and heartfelt friendship is really all about. Where we're willing not only to get up and give three loaves of bread, but to do just about anything for a friend. It's not only for when things hit the fan that you have a friendship to lean on. You see, I think we need more true friendship for our own health and our own well-being. And I've watched through the years as we went through the struggles. And by the way, we're going through a new season now. But I saw us go through the struggles. And when it came time to do business or when it came time to burn money, not only would we burn money, but we would burn each other. I mean, even our government is having to ask some, answer some very hard questions right now about the way they did business. Have you noticed? I don't know if you've seen some of the interviews that have come out lately, but there's some really good questions being asked. Like, are you going to pay your bills now? Because our government didn't pay their bills. They would hire people and then, you know, hey, they just, <laughs> hey, you did that for the government. You don't, we don't pay. And that didn't happen once. That happened throughout government. And whether it did it as the government or as a member of the government, the result was exactly the same. And it broke down our trust. It broke down our friendships. And that cascaded down into the hearts and the lives of everyone in the nation, including you and I in the church. I mean, it was embarrassing in this church sometimes. Because as your pastor, I would get to meet all the people you borrowed money from and didn't pay back. But that's how we were doing it. And so there was no relational capital built. And therefore, not only did we not have relational capital with each other, but our testimony as believers had no relational capital either. Because we could not be trusted. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And nobody trusted anyone. And No, I wouldn't open my door for you. Because you might take more than three loaves of bread. <laughs> but see, here we see what true friendship is about. And Harold's built some relational capital. And he's cashing in on it. And he's being bold. Not for his own sake. But for the sake of his friend, Simba who needs bread right now. Now I want you to analyze what Harold's doing. Think about this. First of all, he's trespassing. He's trespassing. Secondly, he's disturbing the peace. It's midnight. He's pounding on the door. He's been hooting on his hooter. He's pushing the, the bell at the gate. The neighbors are looking out their windows at Harold. And they're wondering who this idiot is at midnight that's hooting his hooter and, 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 and pressing the gate and knocking on the, the, the gate of someone's house. Trying to wake their neighbor, Gary, that they don't know, but, they, but they've seen him around. Because we don't know anybody. We don't even know our neighbors half the time. You see, if he had 
done this to anyone that was not a friend, I promise you it would not go well. Harold knows that Gary knows him, and he's going to stay put. He's going to keep knocking. He's going to persevere. I can hear Harold say, Gary, go ahead and call the cops or get me the three loaves of bread. But I don't think you're going to call the cops on me because we're friends. You see what I'm saying? pastor in America called Bob Sorge, and what he coined this prayer as is he says it's an illegal prayer. And he says that the Bible is full of illegal prayers, full of examples of illegal prayers. Now, I often think of this type of praying, and I think of the guy who had his car break down in the middle of the highway and he's miles from anybody. And he doesn't know what to do. He gets out to fix the flat tire and he opens up his trunk and in the boot of his car there's, there's a spare but there's no tire wrench. And there's nobody driving on this road at, late at night and he doesn't know what to do. Then he remembers he remembers that he has a friend in the village nearby. It's a 10K walk, but hey, listen. And as he walks down the road to this village, he starts thinking about his friend and his friendship. He says, yeah, this guy's a great friend. And I know he'll have a tire iron. I know he's a mechanic, and he'll give me a tire iron. And as he gets closer to the village, he starts thinking, yeah, but man, look, it's getting late, and Shucks, you know, he'll probably be upset with me if I wake him up. And, you know, he did have a bit of a hot temper. The last time I saw him, he, he kind of had, had a bad attitude, you know. And, and uh, you know, hey, and he's been known to be a very strict person. And uh, the more he goes, the more he starts thinking about this. And, and he gets down the road a little bit further. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, he's going to be upset with me if I wake him up. And, you know, he'll probably, he'll probably just shoo me away. He'll, in fact, he'll probably shun me. In fact, this will probably break our relationship. Well, what kind of friend is he? What kind of a friend would turn you away on a night that's cold and dark and you needed something? And he gets to the door, and he's all worked up, and he knocks on the door, and his friend opens the door. And he says, keep your stupid iron. I don't want it. I don't need you. I don't need your friendship. I don't know how I thought about that, but our mind, our minds work differently, don't they? That's not the case of this story, though, because Harold's asking Gary for bread, right? But let's talk about a few of these illegal prayers. How many of you know that Daniel prayed illegal prayers? He was forbidden by the king to pray. A decree went out that no man can pray but Daniel said, no, no, no. He says, I pray three times a day. And he went through his usual routine. He went and he opened his windows. He knelt down to pray. Everybody knew that he was breaking the law. And it ended him up in the lion's den. But let me tell you something. There's a time when you have to pray an illegal prayer in order to get God 
to stand by his man. Do you remember the four guys on the roof letting their friend down on a pallet? How many of you know that was illegal? You don't tear the roof of your friend or your neighbor up. How how many of you know this is pretty radical stuff, eh? And yet Jesus looked up and sees this man coming down through the roof and says, I see not their illegal activity, tearing the house apart. I see their faith on behalf of their friend, on behalf of someone else. It was an illegal prayer. And he heals the friend. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She was unclean. Unclean people were forbidden to enter the city. Jewish law prohibited anyone with an issue of blood from touching another person or even entering where there were people. And if you did go near the city, you had to cry out, unclean, I'm unclean. It was a law, it was a, it was a sin, it was a, it was a condition punishable by stoning for an unclean woman to touch a man or to touch someone. In fact, so severe was an issue of blood that even a woman in her menstrual cycle, because nobody could know or tell, were separated from men who had become ceremonial clean for synagogue. And the women were either in a balcony or with a wall of partition from them. Because if a woman who had an issue of blood touched a man, he became unclean. But this woman prayed an illegal prayer. She said, I know if I could just touch him. Even if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I could be healed. Think about it. She had to live outside the city, outside the town that she lived in, ostracized by her friend, ostracized by her family. In fact, the whole community knew who she was. The Bible says she'd been this way for a long period of time. The people said, woman, let's not make your problem everybody else's problem. So she literally is breaking the law. She's entering the city illegally on her way to Jesus. And she's touching everybody in the crowd. The Bible says it was a press of people. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me on her way to Jesus. She's making everybody she touches unclean. She is possibly infecting everyone in the crowd with whatever her issue of blood represents. She finally gets to Jesus. And what did he say? Who touched me? Oh, I'll bet her heart sunk. He turns around and he sees her trembling Because she knows she's a lawbreaker. Yet Jesus says, be at peace, for your faith has made you well. Come on. 
Can I tell you something? She was acting on an illegal prayer. I have a word for our church and I have a word for you. There are times that we need to forget certain rules, certain formalities. We need to demand attention. We need to violate protocol. Why? Why? Because we are friends, children, and sons and daughters of God. Sometimes we need to forget propriety and we need to press the point. Sometimes we need to despise political correctness. We need to cross the line. We need to go for broke. We need to stay knocking. Gary, I need bread and I need it now. Look at Luke 11, verse 7 and 8. It says, Gary from inside said, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Well, let's take a little shift here. I've done one side of the coin. Let me do the other side. Do you remember Jesus when he would heal people? He would often say to them, after he healed them, he says, now don't tell anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody what I've just done. Why? Why? Why didn't he want people to be told? There's a reason. There's a reason. He would tell his disciples, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. Hold this to yourself. He appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John saw him in his glory with Moses and with Elijah and they couldn't wait to get back to camp. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't say anything to the others. Just keep this to yourselves. You know how hard that was for Peter? <laughs> Why is it that Jesus doesn't want everyone to know that he's doing miracles? I'll tell you why. Because answered prayer is disruptive. Is disrupts things. Gary's telling Harold, if I get up, I have to wake up my whole family. Now, traditionally, if you study these days and these times, families, especially rural families, they didn't just go into their house by themselves. They went into their house with their animals. They had an inner house and an outer house, and the animals were outside. It wasn't easy to get out of bed. You had to get up, and you wake up all the animals. You wake up the dogs. You wake up the kids. You wake up the family. It wasn't just some little easy thing. This, wasn't, this was a really big inconvenience. This is really disruptive. I've just got my kids. I've just got the animals. I've just got everything locked up, and you're, and you're asking me to get up for what? Three loaves of bread? You've got to be kidding are you, are you listening to me? Can I tell you something? Sometimes answered prayer, sometimes to answer a prayer, sometimes to ask for something will cause disruption. 
they'll disrupt your whole household. You know, when God releases his power, it messes with stuff. That's why when Jesus healed people, he says, don't tell anybody. Why? Because it disrupted things. Whole cities got disrupted. Whole families were disrupted. There were times Jesus had to flee to another city because the people were clamoring. Because they couldn't stop telling. It disrupted a whole city. Here's this, what this text is implying is that when you and I are praying or when we're interceding, the Lord may be sitting back and saying, I hear you. I hear you. I know what you're asking for. Too disruptive. No, 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 no. Think about it. I've seen some of you get your prayers answered. What you thought was a blessing was so disruptive. Are you listening to me? See, God's saying this. He says, when I answer prayer, it's going to set off a chain reaction that I'm not ready yet for. You see, I've got more on my plate than just you and your little world. He says, I'm playing 10-dimensional chess with the whole planet. Can you understand that what may happen for you may have a ripple effect for everybody in a city, in a nation, or on a continent? I want to answer that prayer. And I like your prayer, but not just yet. Not just yet. See, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives us an insight into a very strange opportunity. And it's actually an opportunity for us to actually push back a little bit. By staying at the door and asking, we are not questioning God's sovereignty. We're not questioning his magnificence. We're not questioning his awesome power. We're not questioning who he is. We are just perhaps being allowed to push back on his timing on the basis of our friendship with him. I can't live with your answer, Gary. I don't need three loaves tomorrow. I need them now. You see, there's a kind of prayer that receives today what God was going to give you tomorrow. It's a tension of timelines. Have we not felt a tension of timelines in the nation of Zimbabwe? Oh, come on now. How many years did you hear? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe this year. You know what I heard? You know what you heard? The tension of timelines. The tension of timelines. I need bread now, but it can't be now. What 
do we want badly enough as a church? What do you want badly enough for the sake of others? Harold says, Gary, I get it. But I've already disrupted my kids and my wife. My kids and wife at home are sitting up with my friend Simba and they're waiting at the table waiting for bread. They're ask, I've come out to ask you to give me bread. Gary says, I know. And, he, and Gary, I know that you have bread. I saw you put three loaves in your pantry after the braai. You see, being my friend means I'm going to make a call on our friendship. That also means that your life is going to be disrupted. Can you imagine Gary saying something like, will you please shut up and get off my property, Harold? Maybe he says something like this, Harold, come back in the morning. My preferred time would be around 8 o'clock a.m. Gary says, I don't need loaves at 8 a.m. The bakery is open at 8 a.m. Or Harold says that. I need the loaves now. Tell your neighbor, I need the loaves now. You know, there's another story in the Bible. The story of Jesus one of his first encounters with people where something happens out of the ordinary. He goes to a wedding in the town of Canaan. And at Cana, it must be family friends because Jesus' mother is pretty active at this party. And all of a sudden she comes in and she says, something embarrassing is happening. The family is very embarrassed. What's happened? They've run out of wine. He says, what does that have to do with me? No, no, no. I want you to get wine for them. And Jesus says, it's not my time. It's not my time. Mary is asking Jesus to solve the problem. Now, Jesus checks in with the Father because Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. He only says what he hears his Father saying. And it's not his time. The father says, it's not your time. And he won't do anything unless the father tells him to do it. Jesus tells his mother, it's not my time. And the God, the father's response is, it's too disruptive. It's too disruptive. Because my son, once the people know that you do miracles, it's a straight slide to the cross. Are you ready for this? It's not a good time to let the cat out of the bag. There's no going back from this miracle if you do it. So Jesus tells his mother, my appointed time has not yet come. But we see something very, very interesting. Mary pushes back. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because we don't need wine tomorrow. We need it today. Mary, Mary goes illegal on him. Mary is cashing in on her relational equity. Now, you can imagine how Jesus feels. Jesus is torn between his father and his mother. 
I could just hear him say, Dad, 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 she's pulling the mother card. <laughs> yeah, son, I know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, son? So Mary pushes back and gets her wine before the time. It's amazing and it's colossal. But Mary has also just hastened the coming of the cross for her son. You see, this kind of prayer that I'm talking about can change the timeline. Can change the timeline of a person's life. Can change the timeline of a disease, of a nation, of a family. Here's some truths about this kind of prayer, some qualities. First of all, it's always prayed on behalf of someone else. It's never for you. You never ask for yourself. You're not asking bread for yourself. It's an intercession on behalf of another. Secondly, it's always associated with persistence. Making a demand on equity that's been built up. Third, it's, there's no shame. There's no shame. It's a shameless prayer. I'm not ashamed to ask you for something I know that's in your power and your ability and capability to do on behalf of a friend who needs it now. There's an audacity to this prayer. It's audacious. It's an audacious prayer. He asks. And in the fact that it's being done at midnight, the nerve of a man or of the man knocking at midnight. You know, in fact, there's been a lot of back and forth about whether Jesus spoke in Aramaic or in Hebrew when he told these parables. Many scholars today are shifting from that he was speaking in Aramaic to saying, no, no, he probably was actually speaking in Hebrew. And uh, the meaning of this phrase, because of your shameless audacity, in the Hebrew there's a word that actually translates to something like chutzpah, chutzpah. And let me tell you what it means. It means to be presumptuous, plus arrogant, and strong-facedness. How many of you have ever had that kind of prayer prayed on your behalf? Somebody prayed it with some chutzpah. Everybody say chutzpah. Pretty good word, don't you think? Amen. This is the kind of prayer that says, I'm not leaving. Kill me or fill me. Restore me or remove me. Moses prayed this kind of prayer. God was going to, he says, let me kill them. Let me kill the children. He says, I'm going to kill them all. Moses says, you can't kill them, God. He says, but if you're going to kill them, you better kill me too. Let me be first. And he stood in intercession. He had chutzpah. He prayed on behalf of others. God said, I'll make you a great nation. He says, no, you already have your people. He says, they're not my people. They're your people. No, they're your people. This, this, go read it. It's an incredible story. Esther. Remember Esther and that whole story? You know the story. 
Mordecai. He kind of has chutzpah. He disrespects Haman. Haman hates the Jews. He hates the Jewish nation. He doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. Mordecai helps Esther get into a position. She becomes queen. But queens didn't have the power you think they had back then. In fact, the king had had a bad experience with his former queen, Vashti, and he banished her. And this new queen, Esther, he loved her because she was beautiful. But she didn't just have access to the king whenever he wanted. She had to make an appointment to see the king. Sometimes it would take months, depending on his mood. Mordecai comes and explains the situation that's going on and says, maybe you're in the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe God has placed you where you're at for such a time as this. She says to Mordecai, I will go to the king, but it's against the law. It's an illegal request. But if I perish, I perish. You can read this in Esther chapter 6. So you have to understand, there's an outer court where normal people make appointments to get their number and sit and wait to be ushered in to bring their request to the king. And then there's an inner court where the king is seated on his throne. But you have to be invited into the inner court. And if you ever barge into the inner court without an invitation or a proper protocol, the rule is that you will be killed. I want you to know something. It's not much different today when you go visit the president of our nation or one of our ministers. I've sat outside of a minister's office for hours only to be told, come back tomorrow. I want to barge in there and say, you need to hear what I have to say. But there's a protocol. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm sure that if you went to the president's office and you thought you were just going to walk in, uh, I don't know if you'd come out alive or not. Amen? <laughs> you have to be escorted into the presence of the president. Just like Esther needed to be escorted into the presence of the king. But for the sake of people, that needed an answer now. Esther said, I'm going in. I'm laying it on the line. I'm going illegal. If I perish, I perish. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of a story. I'll get back to Esther in a second. Do you remember the story about the guy on the battleship and the battleship's cutting its way at night through the ocean and right up ahead of it as its searchlight goes out there's another searchlight so the back then they're on radio silence and so the captain says 
slash that ship. Tell them, move 10 degrees to your right. Sleeve flashes. Back comes another flash. No, you move 10 degrees to the right. He says, no, no, no. He says, flash them. Say, move 10 degrees to the right, captain. Flashes back. No, sir, you move 10 degrees to the right, ensign. Ensign? It's insolent. He says, send this message. Move 10 degrees to the right, battleship. The response comes back. No, you move 10 degrees to the right, lighthouse. Sometimes determination isn't going to get the answer. Let me tell you something, okay? But there is a time that it does. What do you want so badly that you're willing to put your life on the line for it? We can imagine Esther going to the palace doors of the inner court, walking up to the guard and say, open the door. The guard stands there and said, I'm sorry, Queen Esther. I can't. Esther says, open the door. I can't. I'm telling you, open the door. If I let you in, you're going to be killed. Open the door. Why don't you just get a number like everybody else and wait in the outer court? I'm sure that Somehow we can let the king know that you want to see him. And within a few weeks, you can get a, an appointment. I don't have a few weeks. Open the door now. This guard sadly and reluctantly opens the door. You see, the situation was desperate. It needed the bread now. It seems these prayers are often prayed when there are other people that are in desperate need and will benefit as well. These are not selfish prayers that we're praying. These are not prayers to alleviate our wants, but real needs. Here's the message I feel tonight. I felt like God was saying to me that there are many of you here tonight. You're very good at prayer. You've prayed a lot for your family and yourself and your needs met. But that God's beginning to make a shift. Some of you have an opportunity now. Not only to pray, but to be bold on behalf of others government. Our government admits they don't know what they're doing. They're looking for answers. Maybe God placed you where you're at for such a time as this. You see, we've had these prophecies that said God is going to raise up Daniels and Esther's and Joseph's. And we love those prophecies. We love to hear those things. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Give me, let me be a Daniel. 
<laughs> Ooh, yes, I feel like God's called me to be Esther. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that. Because if you perish, you perish. Everybody wants the glory of the Daniel. They just don't want the captivity, the persecution, the lion's den. Oh, I want to be a Joseph. Oh, yes. In, in the palace. Yeah, but how about the pit, the prison, the persecution? No, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I think I'll give the Daniel thing a miss. I think I'll give the Joseph thing a miss. And Esther, how about the Jesus thing? Folks, let me tell you something. I just sense that this prayer conference is not just another prayer conference. It's God trying to shift us to a place where we understand the gravity of our relationship with God. That we have a friendship that can make a demand in a situation where we can change things now. Now. Governmentally. Some of you can change things for a family. Some of you have the power to employ someone. And they don't need a job next month. They need it now. Some of you can engage in an intercession on behalf of others that can't for their healing, for their blessing, for their prosperity. Some of you have walked with God for years and years, but you've never made a demand on behalf of someone else for something now. I know many intercessors and they're still praying for themselves. They're still praying for their families. They're still praying for a small circle of influence that only concerns them. I just sense God say to me that I'm enlarging your sphere. be some that will deliver the nation. You're not in the military for no reason. You're not in politics for no reason. You're not where God's placed you within earshot of presidents and ministers for no reason. You're not in this nation at this time for no reason. We can change the economics. You can. You can do this. And right now, for the first time in a very long time, there are ears that are listening. But are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to use your social capital? Are you willing to use it for someone else? Or is it going to be business as usual? I'll take care of myself, Jack. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So tonight as I close this message, 
I'm going to ask you tonight, if you're here and you say, Pastor, man, I'm challenged that I need to be found in that position of intercession on behalf of another, on behalf of our nation. If God's speaking to you, I'm going to open the altar tonight and ask you to come and do business with God. That's what altars are for. It's where we rend our hearts, not our garments. It's where we humble ourselves and say, God, if you could use me, use me. Amen? Would you all stand? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch you, touch me. What can I do on behalf of, yes, there are people in my family that I need to make a demand for, maybe even pray an illegal prayer. My friends, I need to make some demands even on my friendships, my neighbors. God's gracing you to become the next Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Deborah, Mordecai, or anything else that God needs. Are you available? Are you available? Come on, lift your hands with me. Make this your prayer. Daniel. So Lord of a shadow me. I want the world to see your love Cause you are my heart's desire My all-consuming fire you are Come on, let's sing it together So Lord, overshadow me
that this is not an emotional decision that God looks for. This is a calculated decision. There's a risk involved. There's a risk of rejection, of misunderstanding. There's a risk of the friendship being broken. There's a, ri- there's a risk that it could all go wrong. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time. And I can hear God say, once you do this, there's no turning back. I can hear people theorizing about how great Zimbabwe can be. But I tell you, it will not be great unless it's up to, unless you and I do what God tells us to do. We can't write any more white papers. We need to implement now. We need to take action on what God's telling us to do. Your company can't be just about profiteering and making more money. It's time to stand up and say, guys, it's time that we structure this company to genuinely meet the needs of the people of our nation. It can't be about me, 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 and mine anymore. It's got to be about us and we. We've got to take care of the... We can't have... We cannot keep having blind and maimed and poor on every street corner of every street. This is not Zimbabwe. We've got to do something for our nation. It can no longer be politicians feeding and eating just like they have in the past. There's got to be transparency. But that will not happen if we just leave it to itself. Every one of us has a chance to pray an illegal prayer. Every one of us has a chance to interface with God. Some of you are here and where you are for such a time as this. I don't know what level you're at. I don't know who you can touch. I don't know where your influence lies. But I know this. It can never be about me again. It can never be about my ascent to power. It's got to be about us. It's got to be about my neighbor. It's got to be about my family, my friend, my nation. I'm challenging you tonight. I'm asking God to deal with our hearts in such a way that we say, oh God, we don't even know how to do this. We've never done this before. It's not our culture. It's not the way I do things. But tonight, God, would you break my heart for others? 
Lord, would you overshadow me with something that I've never sensed before, something I've never felt before? Would you ask me and help me to do something I've never done before? And I'm not asking for myself, God. I'm asking in intercession for our nation, in intercession for, and that could be anybody that God puts on your, your heart. If your neighbor comes and asks you tonight for three loaves of bread because somebody arrived, it's disruptive. It'll disrupt you. This is not going to be easy. This will disrupt your life. If you obey God, it'll disrupt everything. It'll disrupt everything. This could disrupt your perfect little life. But it could change a nation. It could change an industry. It could change a family. It could change your life. I felt God told me that during this prayer conference, there are some of you that have resisted full-time ministry because you didn't trust him. You didn't think he could provide for you. And so you just want to take care of yourself. God's, God's going to have you pray an audacious prayer. God's going to deal with you in an audacious way. Many will be called into service in ways they never imagined before. It doesn't even make sense in the natural but God's a supernatural God and He's going to show Himself strong. There are some people of means. You're a person of means. And you didn't want to give up. You thought, I have to give this up to do what God wants me to do. And you're miserable. I believe this weekend you're going to yield to God going to yield to God. Pray your own prayer tonight. Come on. Would you just be so bold as to pour your heart out? Pour it out. Pray an audacious prayer. God, whatever it takes, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. But mean it. Mean it. And then do it. Do it. Do it tonight. But would you, you say, God, I want to be like you, but could you, you say, I will give it all, but do you, now is the time, now is the
know this, that you cannot be an Esther, Jesus, a Daniel, a Joseph, a Deborah, unless you become a prophetic people. You have to be a prophetic people. You have to be a people that are not afraid to speak when God tells you to speak. You have to be the person that's willing to speak, act, and do. Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. That's not anything special. That's the way we're supposed to be led of the Spirit. We're Spirit-led people. We're the men and women of God. But when He calls upon us to speak, we speak. When He leads us to do, we do. Without doubt without question knowing that hey I know the shepherd's voice and another I do not follow I believe even tonight right where you're standing I believe every one of you can exercise a prophetic gift even for the person standing next to you because that's what God does he quickens you're not here by accident. You're not standing next to the person you're standing next to by accident. You understand? Philemon, I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again now under a different unction. When you put your foot back on the soil of England and Great Britain and Wales, It'll be different. It'll be different this time. Where there were thousands, there'll be tens of thousands. And there'll be an unusual anointing for evangelism, followed by signs and wonders. God, show me an open door for you in a wall of it's a wall it's a blockage and it looks like we can't get through that wall but I'm telling you there's a door in the wall the apostle Paul said there's been an effectual door of ministry open to me but there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. I'm telling you, you will do warfare to get through that door. But once you're through and you're on the other side, everything unlocks. Everything opens. Everything opens. You will go through that door. You will go through that door. Nigel, I keep being attracted to you and I just feel like, hey, there's been a new boldness coming into your life. And I just felt like God saying this, that he's washing all past residues off. Every past residue is being washed off. Not only has the past been forgiven, but it's being washed away. The enemies that pursued you and have continued to pursue you, you will see no more. 
The next time you see them, they'll be floating on the shores of the Red Sea. God will destroy the enemies. Here's an amazing truth about that. This is not just for Nigel, this is for many of you. The enemies, you'll, you'll study in the scripture where it says that Israel, a bunch of slaves, went and fought a war against the Amorites. I want to know, where did they get the swords to fight that war? Have you ever thought about that? Many scholars believe that the army that was destroyed in the Red Sea, God made axe heads swim in the Old Testament. Maybe some of those bodies washed up with the sword still on their side. Maybe those, maybe those swords swam. I don't know how God got, but God took the enemy's weaponry and put it into the hands of his people. I feel like God's doing that for some of you. Some of you have been under the whip so long, you still feel like a slave sometimes. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm putting a weapon in your hand and it's time to go to war. It's time to fight now. It's time to fight now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not for such a time as this. Hallelujah. You know, I'm shocked. Everybody's talking about a new Zimbabwe, but nobody's talking about the price tag. There's no new Zimbabwe with old minds and old plans. There's a new Zimbabwe with new people that rise up and say, no, 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 no. We're not going that way. We're going to go the way of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, the way of the king. Did you hear the prophecy tonight? Did you hear the prophetic song? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. What is this... What is the theme of our conference? Thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Let me tell you, if we just do business as usual in Zimbabwe, it doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter who the ministers are. It'll just be business as usual. But when the kingdom rises up in the hearts of a Christian nation, a Christian nation, come on, folks. It's now is not the time to be quiet. Now is not the time to be subservient. Now is not the time to just, oh, praise God. No, no, it's not praise God. It's, wait a minute, God did something. God answered our prayer. But we're not going back. We are not going back. We are not going back. I will not go back. Let's call our leaders into accountability. Let's speak up. Say, excuse me. You said you want transparency? We do too. Let me see the transparency. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Where are the diamonds? Where's the diamond money? Come on, come on. You said you'd show us. You've arrested these people. Are they going to go to prison? Are they going to pay back? Or are we just going to arrest them and let them go back into, oh, everything's fine again? Come on, folks. And what about those of you that are arresting everybody? 
do you get the same scrutiny as well? Who's going to say that? Oh, for such a time as this. Amen. 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 Come on, it's time. Amen. It's time. You, you all had a great voice on one Saturday afternoon. Don't lose your voice now. Let's have a godly nation. Amen. Let's stand up for our neighbors. Let's stand up for our friends. We need bread now. We need bread now. Now. We need bread now. Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor Taz, where are you? Get over here. I don't know why you're at the back of the church. He's, back. He's ministering to everybody. That's why. Hallelujah. Great opening night. Hey. You ain't seen nothing yet. I've got news for you. I've got news for you. You don't want to miss tomorrow night. Uh, listen, listen. I, I hate to say this. Because in Zimbabwe, everybody's a prophet, right? Everybody's a prophet. But I tell you, we have a true prophet with us. You, you come tomorrow night, call your friends and say, you don't want to miss this. There's something happening. There's something happening. By the way, we don't just have conferences to have a conference. Depositing something. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.